Equity becomes the new buzzword as Joe Biden's administration signs numerous executive orders to bring us into the equity field. So we'll talk a bit about that and what that means versus equality. In other news, Donald Trump opens up the office of the former president. Is this an actual office or is he trolling? Well, we all know the answer, but we'll talk about it anyway. In further news, GOP representatives from Arizona refused to turn over their phones under public record laws because they happened to have been visiting D.C. on the day of the world's worst insurrection. And finally, Kellyanne Conway's daughter has her dudes leaked and Kellyanne Conway is on the hot seat? Well, we'll talk a bit about that too. I'm Jay Edgar and this is Contemporary. Well, hi guys. Welcome to Contemporary. My name is Jay Edgar. We've got a bunch of stuff to get to today here. Uh, a couple things we're changing up in the streams. First off, those of you over on DLive, I changed the X tag setting last night. I don't know if this is going to work or if I'm going to be remonetized or demonetized or what the hell the deal is with that. But if it does work and other people are getting their monetization back too. I know Pete the Patriot got his back. Uh, a couple other people that I know have got theirs back. I don't know if mine is back. I don't know if it's there or not. But if it's there, and I don't have a DLive monitor either up here because I don't have it on my old tablet and my current tablet is doing Trovo. So if anybody sees a lemon come in, make sure to thank the donor, please, because I can't see it from where I'm sitting here. So those of you who are on DLive, if you could help me out, that would be great. But before we get into any of the news for the day, Head on over to the website, freedomscoop.com. Freedomscoop.com is going to be your one-stop shop for all of your news and commentary needs, where we carry great shows such as The Generational Gap, The Daily Ignoramus, The Freckles and Brit Show, The R-Rated Conservative, and The Breakdown with Birkenhoff. Come on over. Pick up some of our swag, like, you know, if Darwin was correct. Help us support great creators and help us build the website going forward. All right, looking first at the Dow Jones... Looks like I got everything mixed up and backwards here. But starting at the Dow Jones here, it looks like everything, I mean, it shot up in the beginning because of what the future said, and we saw that uh, coming up from the futures. It might have scraped a record high at the beginning, but it just kind of faltered off, petered off, and went down to close below yesterday's close. So we did close down about uh, 23 points yesterday on the Dow. Looks like the S&P 500 stayed up from other news that I looked at here, but yep, it's coming up, it's going down, and we will see why and see what the futures hold for today. As far as Bitcoin goes, uh, let's see. First, I want to make sure I've got the live chat up and running here because uh, I didn't close it last night, so if it's still going to go, yep. All right, anyway, going in here, to Bitcoin. Bitcoin is at uh, $30,719.10 US dollars, which meant another drop off as it went. So once again, people are looking at this saying, well, I made my money. Yellen's talking about making it illegal. I'm going to sell it off. And that's shooting the value way the fuck down. So that's what we see going on as far as Bitcoin goes. A lot of people are talking about this GameStop thing being positive for it. I don't know enough about that to talk about anything that's going on with it. 
but I know I talked with Seawall last night, and he's saying that this was basically an epic troll that went completely further than it ever should have, and now here we sit with GameStop with massive returns coming back off of this and possibly helpful for uh, Bitcoin, so we will see. All right, let's get in to the news on this here. Dow Jones futures fall, GME stock rockets on Elon Musk tweet, slashes gain on Melvin Capital News, Microsoft breaking out from Ed Carson. Dow Jones futures fell sharply early Wednesday along with S&P 500 and NASDAQ futures. These social media driven GME stock short squeeze egged on by Elon Musk surged before the open but slashed as gains as Melvin Capital and Citroen Research closed short positions. The stock market rally had fractional losses Tuesday on the surface but many leaders had a tough session. Microsoft and AMD announced earnings late Tuesday while Palantir Technologies held its much-anticipated demo day. Tesla CEO Elon Musk kept the GameStop frenzy going overnight, tweeting out GameStonk late Tuesday in reference to the Reddit-led mass short squeeze. Melvin Capital, which had been a prominent GME stock bear, finally threw in the towel, with CNBC reporting. Wednesday morning that it had closed out its short position on Tuesday. Citron Research also said it closed out its GME stock short position. GME stock shot up 47% in pre-market trading, a massive trade to 217 in wild whipsaw trading. But GameStop came well off its overnight high above 350 on the Melvin Capital News. That's after soaring 93% to 147.98. On Tuesday, to a record close, GME stock hit an intraday all-time high of 159.18 on Monday. GameStop is up 685% already this year, not including Wednesday's pre-market surge. Bed Bath & Beyond and Dillard's, two other short-squeeze plays, jumped 20% on Tuesday. AMC Entertainment was up 200% before the open. Well, some of this is also people saying, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to be able to go back out again because of the vaccine, and nobody's talking about coronavirus anymore. I also heard people point out and looked over it at myself. The fact that the coronavirus death toll ticker is off the bottom of CNN. So, yeah, that shit's going away in a hurry. Tech giants and Tesla stock generally had modest gains providing support for the major indices. However, that masked some losses among chip, uh, leading chip software, genomics, mining, and materials firms. That's the latest warnings for the stock market rally and one that's already having an impact on active investors' portfolios. All right, on the futures. Dow futures fell 0.9% versus fair value. S&P 500 futures lost 1%. NASDAQ 100 futures sank 0.7% after being up most of the morning. Microsoft stock is providing a now modest lift to tech futures. Remember, overnight action in Dow futures and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock market session. Let's see what happened yesterday because Yahoo News was talking a bit about that from Yahoo Finance. Stock market news live update. Stock edge lower. S&P 500 ends slightly below record high ahead of packed earnings schedule from Emily McCormick. Stocks hugged the flat line Tuesday afternoon as traders considered the latest batch of corporate earnings results and mulled prospects of another robust stimulus proposal getting passed. 
The S&P 500 hit a record intraday high before pulling back slightly, and the Nasdaq also traded little change. The Dow steadied after Monday's declines as Dow components Johnson & Johnson and 3M jumped after their fourth quarter results. The full-year forecast topped estimates American Express and Verizon. The parent company of Yahoo Finance, however, sank after their results to offset gains elsewhere. Stocks this week have also been closely tracking traders' assessments of the path forward for more uh, fiscal stimulus, especially as concerns over new variants of the coronavirus and a disorderly vaccine rollout raise the specter of long-term virus-related damage to the economy. President Biden has been pushing to pass a $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief proposal through a hesitant Congress, but said during a news conference on Monday that he was open to negotiate some points of the proposal, including his call for additional direct checks of $1,400 for most Americans. Wow, that sounds a lot to me like you're not going to be getting it. That's what it sounds like to me. In terms of timing, however, hopes for a speedy passage of another stimulus package dimmed after Senate Majority, or, yeah, Majority Leader Chucky Schumer said he aimed to advance the next round of virus relief legislation by mid-March, Bloomberg reported on Monday. I anticipate the stimulus bill to get passed, but I think it's going to likely take several weeks for that to happen. We have a divided Congress, $1.9 trillion proposed bill after a $900 billion bill that just went through in December, so I don't think the $1.9 trillion is likely to even be passed. Oh, that wasn't Schumer either. Colleen McPherson, uh, Penobscot Investment Management Director of Research, told Yahoo Finance. But I do think that in the stimulus bill, it will be more targeted to individuals. And we might not have that $1,400 in direct payments. There will likely be negotiations there. And I don't think that the federal minimum wage will be raised to $15 an hour. Kill more business. I got, I've got a big feeling a lot of people are looking at this too and realizing the fact that this will put the rest of the small business out there and the rest of the Democratic voters out of business right before we go into the midterms. And Kamala Harris does not want to be president without the House. I don't think she's going to have a choice, but she does not want to be president without the House of Representatives. So... We will see what happens with that. Now, of course, they're trying to jam the coronavirus down your throat again, but nobody cares. And we'll talk a bit about that later on, too. I got some good news coming up out of my state here. All right, I got a couple of videos to share with you here about the top news of the day, and that is on the equity front. And we're going to start, as soon as this catches up and thinks faster, by listening to Susan Rice. Let's see what Susan Rice has to say. Oh, I pissed somebody off. These aren't feel-good policies. The evidence is clear. Investing in equity is good for economic growth, and it creates jobs for all Americans. Economists have estimated that the U.S. economy has lost a staggering $16 trillion over the last 20 years because of discrimination against families of color. If we closed racial gaps in income and opportunity, these same economists have estimated we could add $5 trillion to the U.S. economy over the next five years and add over 6 million new jobs for all Americans. 
So building a more equitable economy is essential if Americans are going to compete and thrive in the 21st century. We've hit the ground running to embed equity throughout the administration. On day one, the president signed an executive order directing an unprecedented whole-of-government initiative to embed racial equity across federal policies, programs, and institutions. That starts with a review of policies and institutions to redress systemic racism where it exists and to advance equity where we aren't doing enough. Every agency will place equity at the core of their public engagement, their policy design and program delivery to ensure that government resources are reaching Americans of color and all marginalized communities, rural, urban, disabled, LGBTQ+, religious minorities, and so many others. The President has put equity at the center of his response to the COVID-19 and economic crises. His executive orders signed last week deliver rent relief, student debt reprieve, and emergency food assistance to families across the country, helping all Americans, including black and brown families who we know are being hit hardest by this crisis. And he took steps to make our broken immigration system more humane and secure. He restored. All right, that's enough of that there. And that's where they're going to cut it from that. So, and that's the big buzzword that's going on right now. It's equity. Now, the uneducated everyman voter would probably come out and say, well, it's the same as equality. And they've been striving for racial equality forever. We have racial equality in this country. I don't know how much more equal you can get. Ben Carson came out of worse than nothing and is the top surgeon in this country. You have the equality. You have all the opportunity, the same opportunity as everybody else does, to do with what you would like. It depends on your hard work, your desire, your drive. Yes, having a little bit of money puts you a little bit ahead from the most part, but like I said, if, if a kid from the projects in Michigan who didn't learn how to read in school, he had to learn, he had to teach himself how to read, can come to become the top surgeon in the country and a presidential contender, then you have no excuse. But this is, this is the equity. They're trying to bring this out to the equality of outcome rather than the equality of opportunity. That's what equity is. And that's what they're going to try and force through for the rest of this. Uh, let's keep going here. I've got one from, from Joe himself. Let's have a listen to what that sounds like. At the moment it arrived as a nation where we face deep racial inequities in America and system, systemic racism that has plagued our nation for far, far too long. I said that over the course of the past year that the blinders have been taken off the nation, the American people. But what many Americans didn't see or had simply refused to see couldn't be ignored any longer. Those uh, eight minutes and 46 seconds that took George Floyd's life opened the eyes of millions of Americans and millions of people around all over the world. It was the knee on the neck of justice, and it wouldn't be forgotten. It stirred the conscience and of uh, tens of millions of Americans. And in my view, it marked a turning point in this country's attitude toward racial justice. 
When uh, the six-year-old six daughter, Gianna, who I met with when I met with the family, I leaned down to say hi to her, and she said, looked at me, and she said, Daddy changed the world. That's what Gianna said, his daughter. Daddy changed the world. And I believe she was right. Not because this kind of injustice stopped. It clearly hasn't. But because the ground has shifted, because it's changed minds and mindsets, because it laid the groundwork for progress. COVID-19 has further ripped a, a path of destruction through every community in America, but no one has been spared. But the devastation in communities of color has been nothing short of stunning. Just look at the numbers. 40% of frontline workers, nurses, first responders, grocery store workers, are Americans of color, and many are still living on the edge. One in 10 black Americans is out of work today. One in 11 Latino Americans is out of work today. One in seven households in America, about one in four black, one in five Latino households in America, report that they don't have enough food to eat in the United States of America. Black and Latino Americans are dying of COVID-19 at rates nearly three times that of white Americans. And it's not white Americans' fault, but just a fact. And the Americans now know it, especially younger Americans. One of the reasons I'm so optimistic about this nation is that the, today's generation of young Americans is the most progressive, thoughtful, inclusive generation that America has ever seen. And they are pulling us toward justice in so many ways forcing us to confront the huge gap in economic, excuse me, economic inequity. All right, I can't listen to that. And there again, he's, you know, executive action on racial equity. Not even legislation, it's just going to be executive action. I'm, I'm going to rule by, by, uh, by, by the same thing that, that that nice, clean, young black man, that the, I'm going to rule the way he did, too. <clears throat> All right. So let's see what the news has to say about this here. Starting with, we'll talk about Susan Rice. Susan Rice says Biden will advance racial justice and equity, calling it essential to economic growth. From Brooke Singman, White House domestic policy advisor Susan Rice said Tuesday that the Biden administration will work to advance racial justice and equity, adding that building a more equitable economy is essential to economic growth. Rice briefed reporters from the White House press briefing room on Tuesday, just hours before President Biden is set to sign a number of executive actions on the issue. Rice, who is leading this effort out of the Domestic Policy Council, said that the administration has a first-rate team to drive this agenda forward. I wonder if they're wearing a certain type of leather knee-high boot over the top of joppers. With a, a sort of a trench coaty type uh, coat. I wonder if that's all happening. To advance equity for families across America. We have the support of every White House office and every agency in this work, Rice said. Advancing equity is everybody's job. Biden is expected to sign a presidential memorandum to direct the Department of Housing and Urban Development to take steps to redress racially discriminatory federal housing policies that the administration... Uh, that the administrable says have contributed to wealth inequality for generations. That's a tongue twister. The memorandum is expected to recognize the central role of the federal government has played implementing housing policies across the U.S. 
from redlining to mortgage, uh, mortgage discrimination to destructive federal highway construction, all of which, the administration says, have had racially discriminatory impacts. Wow, you're going to take the federalism right out of this, aren't you? Everything is going to come from the top down. The president is also expected to sign an executive order to end the Justice Department's use of private prisons. Now that I'm okay with. And I veer up for most libertarians on this, which is why I don't call myself a libertarian, but I veer far away from most libertarians on this, uh, on this whole thing because I think that if the state is the one that's making the laws, then they should be the ones that are responsible for enforcing them. They should incur the costs of enforcing the laws. They should incur the cost of the penalties, the cost of the judicial system, and the cost of the penal system. They need to shoulder that if they're going to make all of these laws. You don't get to go around and hand it off to one of your fucking rich buddies to try and make a profit off of what you're doing. So that I'm actually okay with, the ending of the private prisons. Now, we need to, get, we need to incentivize them to get rid of some of the laws now that there's no private prisons, but, you know... Telling a Democrat to get rid of laws, that's like telling a fish not to fucking swim. Biden is also set to reaffirm the federal government's commission to tribal sovereignty and consultation in an effort to reestablish federal uh, respect for tribal sovereignty and strengthen the nation-to-nation -nation relationship between the federal government and American Indian and Alaska tribes. Uh... Biden's move is also intended to empower self-determination and advance racial justice for Native communities. Spending program to support the economy as the Go away. The Nobody wants to listen to you. They're here to listen to me, not you. Um, so here we go on this, too, because we just read, what was it, Monday we read about the fact that uh, the... Re uh, revocation for the lease of drilling on federal lands is killing one of the native uh, tribes down in Utah who has been making bank off of the amount of oil that they've been pulling up. And yet now here we're going to go here and try to do equity from this on top of it. All right. Let's go on here. From the hill... I don't know what the hell is going on with this headline here. Uh, this might come from the fact that uh, this came from uh, Elaine over on Twitter, but she might have put, or over on, not over on Twitter, over on the Discord, but she might have put this up from uh, mobile. So we might have some translation issues from the mobile. But Biden signed series of executive orders aimed at racial equity from Morgan Shelfant and Marty Johnson. President Biden on Tuesday signed four executive actions meant to advance racial equity in the U.S., including directing his administration to fully implement a law combating housing discrimination and another to mitigate xenophobia against Asian Americans. It's interesting. Now he's trying to reach out to Asian Americans again, but uh, for the most part, the institutions have been looking at Asian Americans and saying, well, they're too powerful. They do too well on the tests. We need to actually make everything better for uh, everybody else. We need to knock them down a peg. 
Biden signed a memorandum directing the Department of Housing and Urban Development to begin a process of rooting out systemic racism in the housing market by analyzing areas where the previous administration's policies undermine fair housing laws, according to senior administration officials. So this is going to be basically a Trump thing, is what this is going to be. The order also implores the department to fully enforce the Fair Housing Act, senior administration officials said on a press call. In July, the Trump administration rolled back Obama-era housing guidance, known as the Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing Rule, implemented in 2015. The provision required jurisdictions that receive federal funding to look for and analyze patterns of housing discrimination and then present a plan to address the practices if they existed. So they're going to take over housing, they're going to take over landlords, and they're going to take over mortgage banks, is what I'm hearing from this. Lot of stuff to look into for this year. Additionally, the president signed a memorandum directing federal agencies, including the Departments of Health and Human Services and Justice, to take steps to stop xenophobia and violence towards Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. The memo also acknowledges what officials described as xenophobic behavior on the part of the previous administration. Because of course it is. The memorandum always has to do with the previous administration. That's all that they're doing here. And plenty more stuff to go on that. I'm sure we're going to cover a lot more of this over on Monday, but just, my God. Are you ready for the federal government to come down into everything? Uh, this one here is from the AP. We touched on this briefly, but uh, Biden orders Justice Department to end the use of private prisons from Amir Madani. President Biden on Tuesday ordered the Department of Justice to end its reliance on private prisons and acknowledge the central role government has played in implementing discriminatory housing policies. In remarks before signing the orders, Biden said the U.S. government needs to change its whole approach on the issue of racial equity. He added that the nation is less prosperous and secure because of the scourge of systemic racism. Okay. Democrats and establishment Republicans, but for the most part Democrats, run the government and have for a very long time. Yes, of course, we had President Trump up there, but... I mean, even he was stifled and stymied throughout his entire tenure as president. They run the government. They run the institutions. They run the schools. They run big business. They run utilities. They run the internet companies. If the system is systemically racist, then you need to look internally to your party because... Your party has taken over every aspect of American life and the system. We must change now, the president said. I know it's, it's going to take time, but, but I know we can do it. And I firmly believe this, the nation is ready for change. But government has to change as well. And I mean, now I want my kids to be in a racial jungle. I didn't want that back in the 70s, but now I want that. Biden rose to the presidency during a year of intense reckoning on institutional racism that was mainly driven by the mainstream media. In the U.S., the moves announced Tuesday reflect his efforts to follow through with campaign pledges to combat racial injustice. 
Beyond calling on the Justice Department to curb the use of private prisons and address housing discrimination, new orders will recommit the federal government to respect tribal sovereignty and disavow discrimination against the Asian American and Pacific Islander community over the coronavirus pandemic. Bah, 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 bah. We've heard all this before. That's all that I have on this, so I'd love to see what you guys think in the comments section about racial equity and what's going on with that and what you think is going to come out of this. I see a lot of government takeover of private industry because that's what it's sounding like as I look through these uh, EOs and look through what the, what the news is telling us these EOs are going to be, but you know what? I might be wrong. Let's keep going. Uh, President Biden, I gave you my word as a Biden, and I kept that word. So, this is what he's bragging about. World Health Organization re-engaged. Re I thought that said reneged at first. Reengaged. Muslim ban reversed. There was no Muslim ban. Consideration of deferred action for childhood arrivals strengthened which means that we're going to beat the next Republican over the fucking head with it as soon, as soon as we get to that point. As soon as another Republican dares to run, we're going to beat him over the head with DACA again. Instead of giving these people a pathway to citizenship, we're just going to keep them in immigration limbo for fucking ever. Paris Climate Agreement rejoined. So China can continue to pollute on our dime. Masks mandated. No, they are not, and we'll talk a bit about that later. Immigration bill introduced. That's not going anywhere either. Federal initiative to advance racial uh, equity nationwide. Launched. And once again, and now with the immigration bill, and even to the point with the racial equity part of this, there is something you also have to keep in mind is that Democrats and institutional Democrats especially love their slave labor. They love slaves. They just don't like to have them and call them slaves. But they love to have people coming over here, illegal immigrants over here, that can't go to the government and say, Hey man, I'm not getting paid enough and my, my employers keep just treating me like crap, man. They love the fact that these illegal immigrants can't do that because they're afraid of being deported. And they'll work for 2 3 $4 on an hour under the table. Tax-free. They love that because then they don't have to go back and pay minimum wage and benefits to somebody like you and me. And it disgusts me the fact that he put a fountain pen underneath that too. Because fountain pens are cool. Joe Biden's not cool enough to use a fountain pen. All right, let's keep going. I love this one here, Heather Pendleton. We need fines for not wearing a mask or not wearing it properly. I'm in Walmart now, and there are several without masks, and should be uh, there should be punishment for states not enforcing mask wearing. Heather Heather Pendleton is the kind of person who would sell out Anne Frank. Just so you know. All right, from the Daily Wire, Joe Biden sets dark money record, raises $145 million from outside groups, from Emily Zanotti. Despite Democrats' objections to dark money, 
money raised from outside groups that collect it from anonymous donors so that it cannot be traced back. President Joe Biden raised a record amount of dark money during the 2020 presidential, uh, presidential campaign, according to a Tuesday report from Bloomberg. Biden raked in about $145 million in donations from anonymous donors to outside groups, backing him far outstripping the $28.4 million spent on behalf of his rival. Former President Donald Trump, Fox News added, it also tops the previous record of $113 million in dark money donations spent on behalf of Republican presidential nominee Mittens Romney. Priorities USA Action Fund, one of the most prominent Democratic super PACs supporting Biden, used $26 million in fun, uh, funds rather, originally donated to its nonprofit arm called Priorities USA to back the then-candidate, according to Bloomberg. The donors of that money do not need to be disclosed, the outlet added. Democrats set fundraising records across the board, according to Fox. Biden, the Democratic presidential candidate, raised an astounding $1.5 billion to bankroll his largely non-traditional presidential run. And by non-traditional, it means that uh, he wasn't actually the candidate that was running. He was just an empty suit stand-in to get the progressive agenda pushed through which saw him out of the spotlight for days at a time. One and a half billion dollars to sit in his basement and turn on a webcam every once in a while so it could come on and say, Come on, man. Don't you see how I'm better than that evil orange man? Come on. All right. I'm calling a lid. That's it. And Democrats raised a whopping $326 million in dark money, nearly twice what Republicans hauled in. Ironically, Biden campaigned on ending dark money in federal campaigns. His 2020 campaign website lists dark money as a corrupting influence in politics and claims to support publicly financed uh, campaigns, effectively ending the current fundraising model. Biden strongly believes that we could improve our politics overnight if we flushed big money from the system and had public financing of our elections. So, taxpayer funding. So, the government comes in, takes your tax money, and then gives it to the candidates that they want to have in. You know, they'll tell you the propaganda that they want you to hear so that you vote the right way. Demo democracy works best when a big bank account or large donor list is not a prerequisite for office, and elected representatives come from all backgrounds, regardless of res uh, resources. But for too long, special interests and corporations have skewed the policy process in favor or in their favor with political contributions. Democrats, likewise, have been adamant about outlawing dark money, and back in 2019, the House passed legislation effectively banning the practice on requiring super PACs, 501c4 nonprofit groups, and other organizations spending money in elections to disclose donors who contribute more than $10,000. It would also require digital platforms to maintain a public database of political ad buy requests of more than $500, according to NBC News. But they're in power now, so none of this is going the fuck away. So, there we go. All that dark money, $145 million of dark money that his party has essentially outlawed. Let's keep going. From the Associated Press, 
Scroll back up to the top here. First, Biden-Putin call shows both cautious on big concerns. From Matthew Lee and Jonathan Lemire. Are, is anybody in the chat old enough to remember last year when the president calling Vladimir Putin was the ultimate sin of the world because it's Putin's puppet. And anybody who calls Putin is just looking for anything. I mean, why would he be calling Putin unless, he, unless he's looking for new orders from Putin? And Putin, oh my God, it's Putin, it's Putin, it's Putin. Well, that shit's out the fucking window. Ah, uh, U.S. President. Do I have an author on this? Because I want to give credit where credit's due. Oh, yeah, Matthew Lee and uh, Jonathan Lemire. U.S. President Joe Biden and Russian leader Vladimir Putin held their first conversation as counterparts Tuesday in a phone call that underscored troubled relations and the delicate balance between the former Cold War foes. Biden is old enough that he's fought in the Cold War. It's kind of funny, though, to think about Biden or some of the old Congress people fighting in the Cold War. Hey, you goddamn Ruskies! Hey! I got a bigger gun than you do! God damn it! That's how I picture fighting in the Cold War. Um, according to the White House, Biden raised concerns about the arrest of opposition figure Alexei Navalny, Russia's alleged involvement in a massive cyber espionage campaign, and reports of Russian bounties on American troops in Afghanistan. I have never seen a confirmation of that story, by the way. The last, uh, the Kremlin, meanwhile, focused on Putin's response to Biden's proposal to extend the last remaining U.S.-Russia arms control treaty. While the readouts from the two capitals emphasized different elements, they both suggested that U.S.-Russia relations will be guided, at least at the beginning of the Biden administration, by a desire to do no harm, but also no urgency to repair existing damage. The two presidents agreed to have their teams work urgently to complete a five-year extension of the new START nuclear weapons treaty that expires next month. Former President Donald Trump's administration had withdrawn from two arms control treaties with Russia and had been prepared to leave the new START lapse. Unlike his immediate, uh, immediate predecessors, including Trump, who was enamored of Putin and... Who is enamored of Putin? You know, his mouth is Putin's cock holster. And frequently undercut his own administration's tough stance on Russia. Biden has not held out hope for a reset in relations. Instead, he has indicated he wants to manage differences without necessarily resolving them or improving ties. And with a heavy domestic agenda and looming decisions needed on Iran and China, a direct confrontation with Russia is not likely something Biden seeks. Yeah, Biden and Putin are best friends now. But that's okay. And the APA can come out and say, oh, well, Trump, he had heart in his eyes because he was so enamored by Vladimir Putin. Oh, he, he was so wonderful to Putin. He loved him. And it was so evil every time that he talked to Putin. But hey, now Biden's going to go talk to Putin. Uh, there we go. Let's keep going. From CBS News, Troll-in-Chief. Trump opens office of the former president in Florida from Melissa Quinn. 
Former President Trump announced Monday the official opening of the Office of the Former President in Palm Beach County, Florida, which is tasked with overseeing the 45th President's official activities in his post-presidency life. The office will be responsible for managing President Trump's correspondence, public statements, appearances, and official activities to advance the interests of the United States and to carry on the agenda of the Trump administration through advocacy, organizing, and public activism, the office said in a statement. President Trump will always and forever be a champion for the American people. I think this tremendously stupid on its face. But the troll, I cannot argue with the troll, and there is such a troll there, and it's hilarious. For a guy who spent a lot of his time as president looking at things that were going on in the government, saying, hey, why the hell are we spending money on this, okay? The fact that he's going to go spend money on this office is tremendously stupid. But you can't deny how fucking hilarious this is. You cannot deny it. And it is great. I love it, I love it, I love it. Mr. Trump and former First Lady Melania Trump departed Washington for Florida the morning of January 20th, choosing not to welcome President Joe Biden and First Lady Dr. Jill Biden to the White House and skipping the new president's inauguration. She's a doctor, remember. Don't forget that. She is a doctor. And if you don't say Dr. Jill Biden, the Stasi will come and drag you out of your house. Without access to his Twitter account, which the company banned following the January 6th assault on the U.S. Capitol, world's worst assault, Mr. Trump has been quiet and forced to rely on more traditional vehicles to reach the public and the press in his final days in office. No, I really think he doesn't give a fuck, to be completely honest. He's going back to Mar-a-Lago, and he says, I got to be the president. I'm going to go bone my supermodel wife. I bone my super model wife on the Oval Office desk, okay? I'm going to stay here. I'm going to play golf. I'm going to sleep in. And fuck you guys, okay? Fuck you guys. <sighs> Love it. All right, from the Daily Wire. Domestic enemies, Tulsi Gabbard warns that Brennan Schiff big tech oligarchs greater threat to U.S. than Capitol rioters. From John Brown. Former Representative Tulsi Gabbard claimed Tuesday that former CIA Director John O. Brennan, Representative Adam Pencilneck Schiff, and the oligarchs of Silicon Valley pose an even greater threat to American liberty than rioters who stormed the Capitol earlier this month. Tulsi is based. I gotta say it, Tulsi is fucking based. The mob has stormed the Capitol on January 6th to try and stop Congress from carrying out its constitutional responsibilities. We're like, we're behaving like domestic enemies of the country, Gabbert said in a video on Twitter. <clears throat> you know what? Let's listen to it. The mob that stormed the Capitol on January 6th to try to stop Congress from carrying out its constitutional responsibilities, we're behaving like domestic enemies of our country. But let's be clear. The John Brennans, Adam Schiffs, and the oligarchs in big tech who are trying to undermine our constitutionally protected rights 
and turn our country into a police state with KGB-style surveillance are also domestic enemies and much more powerful and therefore dangerous than the mob that stormed the Capitol. Now, John Brennan said, So I know looking forward that the members of the, the Biden team who have been nominated or have been appointed are now moving in laser-like fashion to try to uncover as much as they can about what looks very similar to insurgency movements that we've seen overseas, mm -hmm. where they germinate in different parts of a country and they gain strength and it brings together an unholy alliance frequently of religious, ex religious extremists, authoritarians, fascists, bigots, uh, racists, nativists, uh, even libertarians. Now, President Biden... I call upon you and all members of Congress from both parties to denounce these efforts by the likes of Brennan and others to take away our civil liberties that are endowed to us by our creator and guaranteed in our constitution. If you don't stand up to these people now, then our country will be in great peril. Based as fuck. I love Tulsi. Tulsi's awesome. Gabber went on to play a recent clip of Brennan in which he said that Biden nominees are now moving in laser-like fashion to try and uncover as much as they can on activities that he compared to insurgency movements in other parts of the world. He also lumped together religious extremists, authoritarians, fascists, bigots, racists, nativists, and even libertarians. So, yeah, that's, that's what they think about you at this point. If you don't want to bend over and bend the knee and say, yes, Yes, daddy government. Yes, daddy government. Yes, daddy government. Please provide for me. Please give me enough. If you're not willing to do that, you are their enemy at this point. All right. Let's keep going. From AZ Central. Arizona lawmakers who were in D.C. during Capitol riot won't release records from phones from Andrew Oxford. Two Arizona legislators who went to the U.S. Capitol the day it was stormed by a mob earlier this month will not provide emails or text messages about their travel to Washington, D.C. The Arizona Republic asked the State House of Representatives to provide any such messages from Representative Mark Fincham of Oro Valley and then-Representative Anthony Kern of Glendale under public record laws. <clears throat> But responding through a private attorney and not the House, the duo said they would not turn over any records that are on their personal devices, arguing that these are not public records. The letter also noted that the ongoing FBI investigation into the storming of the U.S. Capitol, world's worst storming, added that even if the lawmakers agreed the records were public, the threat of criminal prosecution gives rise to certain constitutional rights, that may overcome the duty to disclose otherwise public documents under Arizona's public records laws. Yeah. And you know what I would say? If I was one of these two guys and they wanted to come in and scour through my personal cell phone, I would say the same thing as I say now. If a law enforcement officer comes in, and wants to scour through my personal cell phone. Fuck you, Fed. Get a warrant. This whole thing, because they try to teach you that in school. I mean, if, if you ask for a warrant or you ask for a lawyer, it makes you look guilty. If you refuse to answer questions, it makes you look guilty. 
I don't give a fuck how guilty I look. You have to operate under a certain set of rules that were set forward by people who were persecuted for both religion and political ideology under their previous government. And if you're going to be in government, you will abide by those rules. And if you want my personal information, you better be fucking coming with a warrant. You fucking prick. Arizona courts have ruled that records on public officials' private devices can be considered public records if those records relate to public business and the phone was used for public purposes. I would be getting that overturned in a hurry because that sounds like a very distinct violation of the Fourth Amendment. House staff sent lawmakers an advisory earlier this month cautioning them against using personal devices for official business as they would have, uh, then have to disclose those records if they were requested. But this was an official business. This was not official business. What part of that don't you understand? Dan Barr, an attorney who has worked extensively on cases involving government transparency, said whether a lawmaker is using personal email address or an official one is irrelevant. Look at the nature of the communication. Are you acting in an official capacity? He said, well, I think you need a judge to sign off on a warrant before you can make that determination. I'm telling you right now. <clears throat> so, that is what we see from that. All right, what else do we have here? Uh, this is just an entertaining tweet. Uh, Republicans investigated four deaths in Benghazi for 853 days. It's time to forget about the five deaths in the Capitol insurrection 20 days ago. And I replied to this one, If you want to sell me on the fact that the Capitol riot wasn't staged to crack down another Patriot Act, then this is not the way to do it. Because they are doing an awful lot of focus, and they sure happen to have that 20,000-page domestic terrorism bill right there and ready as soon as it was over. I mean, everybody can write 20,000 pages in a couple hours, can't they? <clears throat> From Reuters, U.S. Senate kills Republican move to upend Trump impeachment trial from Reuters staff. The U.S. Senate on Tuesday rejected a Republican effort to stop former President Donald Trump's upcoming impeachment trial on a charge that he incited the deadly January 6th assault on the U.S. Capitol. That's it. That's the article. Don't worry, there's more. From Axios, most Senate Republicans join Rand Paul in effort to dismiss Trump's second impeachment trial from Katia Goba. 45 Senate Republicans, including Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, supported an effort to dismiss former President Trump's second impeachment trial. The vote serves as a precursor to how senators will approach next month's impeachment trial, making it highly unlikely the Senate will vote to convict the House impeached Trump for a second time for the incitement of insurrection following events from January 6th where a pro-Trump mob, citation needed please, stormed the Capitol. <clears throat> Senator Rand Paul raised a point of order on Tuesday afternoon to hold a vote on the constitutionality of the impeachment trial. Now that Trump is out of office, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer then asked for a vote to table the motion, thus killing Paul's point of order, and the measure passed 55 to 45. 
five Republicans, Collins, Murkowski, Romney, Sass, and Toomey, all joined all Democrats to table Paul's point of order. Minority Leader Mitch McConnell voted no supporting Paul. So, and this, honestly, with this vote here, I would almost come out and say that it's time to just dismiss this whole fucking thing anyway. You have 45 people who are going on the record and saying that this was unconstitutional, that this is going to be unconstitutional. They're on the record to say this. Where do you think they're going to vote during the trial? You are making a political witch hunt to try and keep Donald Trump in the news because that's the only way that CNN and MSDNC can sell commercials on a measure that you cannot even pray to convict. You need 17 Republican defectors in order to get the conviction. This is not a simple majority thing, and you can't make this a simple majority thing just based on the Constitution. You can't. It doesn't work that way. You would need a constitutional amendment, which means that it would have to pass. Both House, Senate, get signed by the president. Go down through every state house and get two-thirds of the states on board with it, and then go back and pass House, Senate, and presidential approval one more time to become an amendment. That is not an easy process to do. That's what you would need to get your conviction on a simple majority. You are going to lose this trial, those of you in the prosecution side of this. You are going to lose this trial. You are 100% going to lose and you're still going to push forward on this on the theatrics. Look at the numbers here, take the fucking L, and move on with your lives. And try to make your racial fucking equity and top-down government agenda instead. Try to sell that to the people. Alright, let's keep going. From CNN. Senator Patrick Leahy, home from brief hospitalization after presiding over opening of Trump's impeachment trial from Claire Ferran and Carolyn Kelly. Senator Patrick Leahy returned home on Tuesday night from the hospital after seeking treatment out of an abundance of caution, according to a spokesman. Leahy had been hospitalized just hours after presiding over the opening of former President Donald Trump's second impeachment trial. A spokesman said he was not feeling well, and the Capitol physician recommended that he go to the local hospital. Wait just a second. The Capitol physician suggested that Senator Leahy go to George Washington University Hospital this evening for observation. Out of an abundance of caution, spokesman David Carl said in a statement, after getting test results back and after a thorough examination, Senator Leahy is now home. He looks forward to getting back to work. Patrick and Marcel deeply appreciate the well wishes they have received tonight. As the Senate president pro tempore, the longest serving senator of the majority party, the 80-year-old Vermont Democrat is presiding over Trump's impeachment trial in lieu of Chief uh, Justice John Roberts. Roberts, who oversaw Trump's first impeachment, chose not to oversee the proceedings because Trump is no longer in office, according to Senate Majority Leader, yes, Majority Leader Chuck U. Schumer. Uh, doesn't give uh, any word as to what it was that he went into the hospital for. Uh, House impeachment managers, a group of Democratic lawmakers who will act as prosecutors presenting the case against Trump during the trial, delivered a single article last night. Bah, 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 bah. Yeah, this is this is going nowhere. <clears throat> All right, 
from WISN. Right here out of Wisconsin. State Senate passes resolution to repeal mask mandate. No author given. The Republican-controlled state Senate voted 18-13 to 13 to repeal Wisconsin's mask mandate. It followed hours of debate from both sides. But frankly, I'm pissed. I'm pissed because my neighbors are dying. I'm pissed because I haven't hugged my family in the last nine months. And people who have been suffering the most are not even able to come and speak to see what's happening right now, State Senator Chris Larson said. I would not advocate to not wear a mask. If you're out, wear one. But it should not be mandated to have to wear one in continued ongoing proposal that this emergency is the same thing on and on and on again. That is not the authority of the governor past 61 days, State Senator Van Wangard said. Republican Senator Rob Coles and Dale Kuyenga joined Democrats in opposing the measure. This is a joint resolution. The state assembly still needs to vote on it and plans to vote on Thursday. Both legislative chambers have to pass the resolution in order to undo the governor's statewide mask requirement. Or they can just show him the state charter, too. That's the other thing. Just show him the state charter and say, hey, you can't do this. This is illegal. Huzzah is on order. Now, the private businesses are still going to require it. I guarantee you. If you go to the local Target, they're still going to have the requirement for it. If you go to the local Woodman's, they're still going to have the requirement for it. Even the Menards are still going to have the requirement. So, yeah, if you want to do business with a private business that has the requirement, take the L and wear the mask. But the state can no longer tell you that you must do this. It'll be interesting to see where small businesses go and where big businesses go from that. All right. From NBCI4 out of Columbus, Ohio. DeWine lays out steps for how Ohio curfew could end. I don't understand the sign language thing. I, I still don't. I don't get it. Did, did closed captioning stop being a thing at some point? Uh, did just enough people not be able to read? I, I, I don't get it. I really don't understand what the sign language thing is. I mean, I guess it created new jobs, but still. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine, uh, this is from Christine Varconi, by the way. Ohio Governor Mark DeWine laid out Tuesday the criteria for lifting the 10 p.m. statewide curfew as COVID-19 numbers continue to decline in the state. Well, you know COVID-19 can't survive after 10 o'clock. Or, I'm sorry, it can't survive before 10 o'clock. It only comes out after 10 o'clock. The criteria, seven straight days of hospitalizations between, uh, below 3,500, 11 p.m. curfew. Seven straight days of hospitalizations below 3,000, midnight curfew. Stay there for two weeks. Seven straight days of hospitalizations below 2,500, no curfew. According to the Ohio Department of Health, there are currently 2,964 people in the hospital due to COVID-19, making it the sixth day in a row under the 3,500 threshold, meaning the curfew could be pushed back to 11 p.m. as soon as Thursday. Oh, you were good little boys. We're going to give you a little bit more freedom.
Uh, Ohio's chief medical officer, Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, stated that the midnight curfew would happen if hospitalizations are less than 3,000 for seven straight days. So, the people of Ohio are going to get some of their freedom back. Aren't you excited? All right, we got a few more here to do, and then we'll do something I'm thankful for. Head on out of here. From the USA Today. It doesn't give me the headline. Oh, double masking. Yes, double masking is going to be the headline for the day. They say two heads are better than one, but can the same be said for masks? The answer is no, according to Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's top infectious disease after, uh, expert. So, if you have a physical covering with one layer, you put on a, another layer. It just makes common sense that it's likely it would be more effective, Fauci told NBC News' Today on Monday. That's the reason why you see either people double masking or doing a version of an N95. Double masking was in the spotlight last week during President Biden's inauguration, where several high-profile officials and celebrities were photographed wearing two masks. Dance, puppets, dance, puppets, dance, puppets, do what we tell you to do. That, that's really what's happening right now. Dance, puppets. All right. Uh, from Kurt Cherbus over on Twitter says, Twitter confirms to NBC News that the MyPillow guy got his account suspended. F in the chat for the MyPillow guy's Twitter account. Big Fs. I'll start it. All right, from ABC News. Twitter permanently bans MyPillow CEO from Zensu, AP technology writer. Twitter has permanently banned MyPillow CEO Mike Lindell's account after he continued to perpetuate the baseless claim that Donald Trump won the 2020 U.S. presidential election. Twitter decided to ban Lindell, who founded betting company MyPillow due to repeated violations of its cigarette integrity policy, a spokesperson said in a statement. The policy was implemented last September and is targeted at fighting disinformation. It was not immediately clear which post by Lindell on Twitter triggered the suspension of his account. Lindell, a Trump supporter, has continued to insist that the presidential election was rigged even after the U.S. President Joe Biden's administration has begun no, we're not going to have that kind of talk here. The election went completely above board, nothing bad happened, and everything was completely perfect throughout it. Wink, wink, honk, honk. So, yep, he's nuked. Another high-profile person who could use his Twitter for marketing now has one less outlet to market on. Everybody go pick up a pillow. From what I understand, they're great. I don't have one, but I should. I mean, it is for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world. Visit MyPillow.com. This is not a paid endorsement of MyPillow. Mike Lindell is not paying me to say this. All right. The article that I promised you guys yesterday, that was nothing but a video here, out of Texas, from KXAN. Austin City Council considers purchase of two hotels to house the homeless. All right, 
get your fucking autoplay out of here. The Austin City Council will decide on Wednesday whether to purchase two hotels to provide additional permanent housing units for those experiencing homelessness. If approved for purchase by the Council, the Candlewood Suites in Northwest Austin and the Texas Bungalows Hotel and Suites would add 150 units to the city's existing capacity for housing people experiencing homelessness at a combined cost of uh, $16.2 million. We've got to finally do something that the city hasn't done in generations, which is actually end homelessness. By housing folks, rather than just moving people around, Councilmember Greg Kassar told KXAN. Last week, Austin Mayor Steve Adler said the city's approach to homeless is not working the way it needs to, while Governor Greg Abbott threatened a state action if the city doesn't reinstate its public campaign uh, camping ban. Adler said at the time that reinstating the ban would be inhumane, but it signaled during a council work session on Monday that designated camping sites like the state-provided land that's home to Esperanza community may be part of the solution for those awaiting permanent housing. That is not something that's normally desirable, but at the same time, we have an emergency need for rapid housing, Adler said. Well, a couple problems with this, of course. If the Candlewood and the bungalows are both out of business, which it's a distinct possibility, given the fact that travel's been put on such a heavy restriction, then the land is open. But, I mean, once the government picks it up, it's not generating tax revenue anymore. Nobody can come in and make a hotel back out of this here. I don't know. I I don't think the government should be doing this. But it's between them and the taxpayers. If that's what the taxpayers want, they should they should have to pass this with the taxpayers to see if that's something that they want to do. I think there should be a ballot resolution to this before they go off and do this, because that is going to raise the Austin taxes. That's $68.2 million of additional burden that's going to be put on the city of Austin. That's going to go against your property taxes. But looks like they're going to go through with this. All right, let's keep going. The Kellyanne-Conway saga continues because, of course... Everybody who was in the Trump administration sells commercials, and Kellyanne Conway is no exception. From the New York Post, Kellyanne Conway investigated by cops after nude photo of daughter Claudia posted. From Stephen Yang, Craig McCarthy, and Leah Ustowich. Police have launched an investigation into a topless photo of Kellyanne Conway's 16-year-old daughter, Claudia, which the teen says was posted on her mom's Twitter. And cops paid a visit to the family's New Jersey mansion on Tuesday. Yeah, I'm not even surprised by this after what we read last week and on Monday as well with Twitter and how much they love having child porn on their on their system. I'm not even surprised. I, I'm not even... It's all fucking stupid anyway. Just before noon, four officers and the Bergen County Prosecutor's Office and Alpine Police Department showed up with papers in hand at the Conway's brick-faced home in Tony Alpine and spent about an hour inside before leaving. Alpine Police Chief Christopher Belcole confirmed that a probe was underway. An investigation is being conducted. No additional information can be released, Belcole said, noting that records regarding juveniles are not made public. 
On Monday, Claudia Conway took to her TikTok account to address a topless photo of herself that apparently was tweeted on her mother's Twitter fleets, which automatically deletes posts after 24 hours. Claudia said she believed her mom accidentally posted the pic or her account was hacked. I have no words. I have no words. I really don't. But once again, there is the bump that goes along with that because anybody who was on the Trump administration sells commercials all the time, which means that New York Post can put this clickbaity fucking article up and, hey, now we're going to go talk about it. And, hey, now we're going to sell a bunch more ads from this. All right, we'll do one more here, then we'll do a thing I'm thankful for and head on out of here. A um, little bit of F to close out the uh, show, so that's why we're going to end with something I'm thankful for. One dead after car strikes multiple pedestrians in Portland. Go away, autoplay. One dead after car strikes multiple pedestrians in Portland, Oregon. Terrorism is not suspected. You know, terrorism is never expected, especially when somebody yells, God is great, in Arabic. Now, I don't know if this is the case here, but you ever notice that terrorism is not suspected? From William Mansell. In Portland, too, on top of this. One person is dead after a vehicle struck several pedestrians during multiple hit and runs across several blocks in Portland, Oregon, Monday, according to the Portland Police Bureau. Five other people were transported to hospitals with non-critical injuries, according to Portland Fire and Rescue. There were more victims who didn't require medical transport. The woman who died was identified Tuesday as a 77-year-old Jean Garrich of uh, Portland. Garage was not a nameless victim. She was a loving mother of two. She was a proud grandmother of five, ages four to 16. Her family said in a statement, she would have turned 78 in 12 days. She beat cancer five years ago. She received her first COVID-19 vaccination shot last week and was overjoyed to get out into the world again. Virtue signal! Portland police identified 10 people who were injured, including seven cyclists and two pedestrians, as well as another individual who suffered a head injury and was unsure if they were outside their car at the time of the accident. The incident happened at about 1.02 p.m. local time when a Honda Element drove into pedestrians and vehicles from Southeast 33rd Avenue and Stark Street to Southeast 13th Avenue, according to the police. After crashing their car, police said the driver fled on foot, but community members corralled him until law enforcement arrived, authorities said, press uh, at a press conference on Monday afternoon. The suspect, who has not been identified, has also been hospitalized. Police said they do not believe terrorism was a uh, motivating factor in the crashes. I wonder if he was uh, yelling, God is great, in Arabic, throughout this entire thing. That is probably in poor taste. I just, I gotta wonder. I gotta look at everything here. But, yeah, F in the chat for uh, for the woman who died, Garage. F in the chat for her. And I hope everybody else has a speedy recovery. Big Fs. We gotta do one more big F. Alright. And that is going to be it for the day. But before we head on out of here, we're going to do something I'm thankful for. So, I've, you know, 
I'm getting into this point right now. It's it's getting to be a rut, you know, come up and try and force yourself to think of something that you're thankful for every day. But, you know, sometimes it just happens. I am thankful that the mask mandate is over. That way I can choose to give my business to companies that more align with my view of freedom and choose not to give my business to companies that are very fascistic about things. I'm thankful for that. But I'm looking over to, I mean, I have no kids. I have no kids of my own. But I have my nephews and nieces who, I mean, they love me like they're my own kids. And I, I'm very thankful for that. I don't know what's going to be coming in, but uh, my nephew is apparently, he's getting old enough that he can actually send me something. My mom told me to look for a package that she sent yesterday. I have no idea what it's going to be yet. But the fact of the matter is, I'm thankful that, they, that they're in my life. I'm thankful that my sister had kids. I hope that one day I will have some of my own, but I'm very thankful that my sister did. And I can feel that kind of passionate love that a family member has for another family member. That just comes from the fact that you know that you're related and you can feel that with each other. And I'm really looking forward to see what the kid sends me. I really am. I think that's going to be awesome. He's a little artist now. And he loves to draw. And he loves to color. And he loves to cut paper too. So it could be any one of the things. The fact that it's a package, I don't know. Maybe it'll be a sculpture. Maybe he's going to get into something like that. But we will see. But that is going to be it for the day. And I'm thankful for my, my nephew and my nieces. Absolutely. They're awesome. You guys will never get to meet them, unfortunately, because, you know, people do weird stuff with public figures on the internet. So, they will continue to be mine. They'll never be yours. But, they're still mine. And I'm very thankful for them. And that's going to be it for the day. So, we're going to head on out of here. We'll be back here tomorrow with more Contemporary. Because the news is never going to stop. And Joe Biden's going to continue to shove out more and more and more executive actions as we go. So... It's never going to stop, people. It's going to be just like Obama. Oh, I've got a pen on a phone. And if the Congress won't, if they, if they won't play ball with me, then, then I'm just going to make it happen anyway. So we will continue to talk through the fall of the Republic. It's going to be a great time. Hope to see you guys here for more every day. And thank you all the new people. I did see some new people in the chat today. So thank you all of them as well. We'll see you tomorrow. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar. And this is Contemporary.